Okay, so for the afternoon service, we're going to go to Proverbs chapter 5. A lot of times we'll, we'll kind of preach a, a, a little sermonette. This won't be a sermonette. Um, we're going to stay right in our series on Proverbs. This is what the Lord would have us do today. And uh, I'm mindful of those that are working the nursery. This is a very tough shift. And a lot of kids, this is their nap time. So I'm going to be mindful of that. And we're going to get right after it uh, this afternoon. Proverbs chapter 5. And uh, we're going to cut this chapter right in half, basically. And preach it in two parts. It's one lecture from Solomon to his son. Um, but we're going to preach it in two parts. It has a very specific theme. I told you it's something I'm passionate about that I want you to hear. I think, I think uh, young people need to hear it. I think college-age people need to hear it. I think single adults need to hear it. I think married couples of all ages need to hear this. And, and, and it's something very, very, can be very heavy, very touchy, even awkward at times because chapter 5 deals completely with the sexual relationship. And so it, it, it's possible that next Sunday night we might have special supervision um, for the children um, that are under the teen years uh, just because Solomon gets into some things. I don't know exactly how we're going to go about it. That might not be necessary, but that might be necessary for today's message. It won't be necessary, um, but I'm interested to see what the kids' sermon notes are going to look like after uh, this afternoon's <laughs> message. Um, the lecture has two very clear parts to it. Okay, the first part we're talking about today, now, now follow this, in verses 1 through 14, is a warning from Solomon to avoid the strange woman. I'll describe that in a moment. The second part is 15 through 23, which we'll talk about next Sunday night, and it's about pursuing the wife of your youth. So there's a comparison there. The first part is all about the dangers of sexual impurity. The second part is all about the delight of sexual purity. Thus, I'm going to title this two-part message, this entire chapter, From Danger to Delight. Here's what we need to understand. There are two sides of the sexual relationship. There's a dangerous side, and there's a very delightful side. Wisdom's side of the sexual relationship is delightful. The world's version of it is dangerous. God's definition of it is delightful. Satan always has a counterfeit. So, so for everything that God creates for good, Satan destroys and, 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 uh, or distorts and twists and manipulates so as to create evil from it. And so Satan's side of the sexual relationship is very, very dangerous. Um, next week is going to take on a very positive tone, a delightful tone. Because you need to understand this, that the sexual relationship done God's way in God's time is incredibly delightful and it's supposed to be. Okay? But if it's done any, in any way or at any time outside of God's clear boundaries, it's very, very, very dangerous. Some, one preacher said this, fire is good so long as it stays in the fireplace. Water is good so long as it stays within the river's bank. So we got to keep the sexual relationship in a way that is delightful and not dangerous. In the first 14 verses, look up here. The first 14 verses, Solomon gives his son a thou shalt not. So it's a heavy tone. But in the last few verses, 15 through 23, he gives him a thou shalt not so that he can later give him a that thou may. 
So don't get caught up in like, oh man, the sexual relationship is just so forbidden and so taboo and thou shalt not. No, there's only, there's only rules surrounding it so that you can get full delight from it. Thou shalt not that thou may. That thou may is coming, but thou shalt not is today. All right? So we're going to say the first 14 verses. See what Solomon has to say about the dangers of sexual immorality, sexual relationship outside of God's clear boundaries. Let's begin in verse 1 with a familiar call that he begins, I think, every one of his lectures with. My son, attend unto my wisdom, and bow thine ear to my understanding, that thou mayest regard discretion, and that thy lips may keep knowledge. Now, how do you think Rehoboam felt after hearing Solomon say for like the hundredth time, listen, boy. How many times has Solomon said this? If you've been here this entire series, then you know these are cliche, this is a cliche in Solomon's household. It's like those things you hear your dad tell you over and over and over and over. Some of you teenagers are, are smiling because you know it's the truth. But there's something profound here we can't overlook. It's a small little detail, but it's actually really, really big because it's the father, watch here, it's the father, it's the parent that takes the initiative to talk to their son about sex. We can't miss that. The world is not shy anymore about talking to our children about sex. From music to, to, to reality TV shows to social media to commercials to billboards alongside the highway to the classroom to the hallway to the lunchroom to the locker room. The world is screaming constantly at our children about the sexual relationship. And listen, their message is loud and clear. They say things like this, indulge yourself. Enjoy yourself. It's your body. If you're curious enough, try it out. If, if you love him or you love her, that means you're ready to have sex. And they say just crude things like you don't know if you'll enjoy the vehicle if you don't give it a test drive. And just filthy, filthy things like that. And all the while, they make all of this sound so innocent. Like it has no long-term consequence at all. Follow this. Solomon took the leadership of his home. And he wasn't going to let the world out-influence him when it came to teaching his son about the sexual relationship. Parents, listen. The home is wisdom's first classroom. Don't leave it to the school system. Don't leave it to your child's peers. Don't leave it to Hollywood to teach your child and your kids about the sexual relationship. Refuse to be out-influenced by anything other than the Word of God when it comes to this topic. It's no wonder that so many teenagers get hooked on pornography so early. It's no wonder eight out of every ten high school students graduate without their virginity. I think in large part it's because parents are too passive about teaching their kids uh, the dangers associated with sexual impurity. I think parents are too passive about setting up clear boundaries and accountability to safeguard their young people from these temptations. Here's what's happened over the course of the last two decades or three decades or so, probably really the last two decades. Culture has gotten more brash and more brave and more aggressive in their promotion of how they define the sexual relationship, but parents haven't got more aggressive in defining theirs. And so culture is out-influencing us now because parents aren't stepping it up. The culture's gotten louder, but not the parents. 
The school system's gotten louder trying to teach them have safe sex, but not the parents saying have no sex. Are you with me? And so parents, we got to start the engines. We got to kick it into gear. I was laying in, in our bed last night, and Kevin, is that's kind of the thing he does. He just comes and chills with us for about the last hour of the day before we have family devotions. And it was just a commercial. I was watching a ball game, and the commercial came on, and it said something that, that would make an eight- or nine-year-old blush. Can I ever forget how old? Remember how old he is. He's eight. He's eight. He's eight. And he, he was doing something totally different on, on, on his iPad, and he totally stopped and repeated what that person said, that crude sexual innuendo, on a commercial. I'm just telling you, they are not going to slow down. They are not going to shut up. They are not going to say, hey, tame it down a little bit. Okay, there might be kids watching our show. No. They don't care. And I'm just trying to tell you, if Solomon gave us an example here, that it, that it should be the, the parents, if not the parents, grandparents have to come in at times. And, 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 and I want it to be heralded from this pulpit. And I want it to be preached from the pulpit of Impact Student Ministry. That, that sexual purity is a big deal to God. And I don't even want that word to be taboo. God created it. There's a proper way to talk about it. There's a proper context in which to bring it up. But I don't want it to be viewed as a bad, bad, awful thing. Right? It gives, and it does, we'll talk about it today, but, but, but we make it sound like, like it's so bad, it's so bad, it's so bad, so just save it for the one you, you get married to. Does it make any sense? Oh, it's delightful, it can be, but it's so incredibly dangerous, and we've got to step it up. And so Solomon says, son, I've got something to tell you. It might get awkward, but it's vitally important, so sit up and listen to me. I want to talk to you about the dangers of the sexual relationship. And he's going to start by telling the son to be aware of the dangerous words of the strange woman. Now, lest you think that it's just women that contempt men sexually, there are also strange men. So the strange woman really is a general term for sexual temptation. So you're going to hear me say that, that the strange man or woman all throughout this message because it applies to either one. Look at verse number three and four. Just start in verse three. For the lips of a strange woman drop as in honeycomb, and her mouth is smoother than oil. He, he, he says, be aware, son. Sexual temptation has sweet and smooth words. Her words are, are like honeycomb. That, that, the Hebrew word used for honey, I want you to study with me today, refers to the honey that drops directly from the honeycomb before it's ever even broken. They say it was honey at its best, the sweetest form known to ancient Israel, and then her words are smoother than oil. They're talking about the well-pressed olive oil that was known to be the smoothest substance in, in, in ancient Israel. So the words of the man or woman who's tempting you, whether that be face-to-face -face at work, um, it, it could be at church, it could be out in the community, it could be online, their words, or their approach, their appeal is going to be sweet and smooth. And here's what I found. They'll, they'll typically try to do three things with their words. Listen to me, please. They will caress your ego. Hey, you look really nice today. I wish my husband stayed in shape like you do. 
You're so fun to be around. I'm glad we get to work together. Young people might hear smooth words via text, like, I love you. How many agree that as teenagers you, have, you knew nothing about what love meant? That's not an insult to teenagers. That's just the truth. I thought I did, and I come to find out I really didn't. I know you think you know somewhat about it, but, but trust me, trust me, trust me. I don't think you know everything there is to know about love. I want to be with you, they say. You mean everything to me. Their words will not just crush your ego. They'll appeal to your vulnerability. We're talking about smooth words. A man who doesn't feel respected at home is vulnerable to the alluring words of a woman at work who actually listens to him and respects his opinion. And that woman will, 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 will spy out that vulnerability. A woman who doesn't feel loved at home is vulnerable to another man who makes her feel like a million bucks and actually pays attention to her and doesn't get on his phone all day long. You see, a strange man will, will mark the vulnerability of that woman. Their words will also soften every moral objection you might have in the moment. Please get that. Even during sexual temptation, you have a conscience. But the strange man or the strange woman knows just the right words to say that will give you the courage to ignore that conviction. But, Solomon says, though her words are sweet and smooth, be aware because her end, he says in verse 4, is bitter and sharp. Look at it. Her, her end is bitter as wormwood. If you studied the tribulation today, maybe you got to that point in the lesson. Sharp as a two-edged sword. Let's study this for a second. Notice the first three words of verse 4. What does it say? But her end. You could also say this, but afterwards. In other words, her, her words are sweet like honey, and they're smooth like olive oil, but afterwards. Would you hear me? There is always an afterwards in an illicit sexual relationship. Always. When he or she is done speaking and you are done listening, when the moment of fleeting pleasure is gone, there are consequences that linger and leave you thinking after you, how in the world did I even fall for the bait in the first place? The promised sweetness, Solomon says, is soon replaced by that which is bitter as wormwood. Wormwood is a metaphor all throughout scripture for things like sorrow and calamity and cruelty. The wormwood plant was often placed between woolen garments to ward off in, uh, 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 bugs like maggots and moth. Listen, it was so bitter that not even the lowest life forms could tolerate it. It perfectly describes the opposite of honey. He says the smooth flattery is going to eventually give way to the unavoidable wounds of a two-edged sword. This is so interesting. He wasn't even talking necessarily about the physical two-edged sword. The Hebrew meaning of the two-edged sword is very interesting here. It actually meant a sword of mouths. Mouths. Two mouths. What he is saying is that the very words that, that, that on one end made you feel um, so respected, so loved, drew you in, are the same words that afterwards pierce your heart and mind and conscience like a two-edged sword. I'm talking about the words that you fell for will ring in your head after you fall for them, and you will, you, you will think these in your head. Why did I believe that? On one end, the words will be smooth. On the other end, when the fleeting pleasure is gone, you'll be stabbed in the heart by your conscience saying to yourself, I shouldn't have fell for that. Solomon says, be aware of the dangerous words of the strange woman. But he wants his son to be aware of something else in verse 5 and 6, and that's her dangerous path. Her feet go down to death. Her steps take hold on hell. Lest thou shouldest ponder the path of life, her ways, watch, are movable. That thou canst not know them. 
So, so he said her path leads to destruction in verse number 5. He, he makes it clear, watch, that the strange woman herself is deceived. Did you catch that? Her feet go down to death. It, he, he didn't say initially that, that she's taking you down to death. He said her feet go down to death. So when a man or a woman sexually, sexually tempts you, they're not thinking straight. No, when you fall for sexual temptation, you're not thinking straight either. But the person that comes to you and tries to get you to cheat on your spouse or to lose your virginity or, or the woman online that, that would dare get you to look at her image, if they're not, cons- they're not considering their own end. They're not considering their own path. And if they're not considering their own path and the consequences of their own sin, what makes you think they're thinking of yours? I don't care about you. Her path is movable, it says in verse 6. You know what that word means? Unstable. Gives the idea of blowing left and right based on how the wind is blowing. If pleasure calls to the left, to the left she goes. If pleasure calls to the right, to the right she goes. Here's what we got to realize, and this is a vitally important truth. If the strange man or woman is so movable, watch, and so unstable, don't be duped into thinking that you're the only one thereafter. Don't think for a moment that you're the only one they're flirting with or or, or listening to or confiding in or texting or Snapchatting. Don't don't think you're the only one. They're movable. They blow wherever the wind's going. They said the same words to the last person they seduced. He used the same technique with the last married man he got to cheat on, last married woman he got to cheat on her husband. She used the same strategy with the last uh, married man she worked with. Listen, girls, listen. The teenage boy did the same thing with the girl on the volleyball team as he wants to do with the girl on the basketball team. And that teenage girl sent the same picture on Snapchat to the boy two desks down from you in the classroom. They're unmovable. They're unstable. Don't trust what they say. Don't think for a moment that it's just you and her or him alone on this path. The strange man and woman has taken many down this path. You are just a number not special so Solomon tells us to be aware of the dangerous words of the dangerous path now he's going to use verse 7 and 8 to tell us to be aware of the dangerous presence of the strange woman look at it are you studying with me hear me now therefore O ye children depart not from the words of my mouth remove thy way far from her and come not nigh the door of her house watch it's not good enough Solomon says to be mentally aware of her dangers There actually has to come a time when you have to completely avoid being in his or her presence. John Kitchen, my favorite commentator on Proverbs, says this. There is more wisdom in never letting yourself be tested than in proving the strength of your convictions by flirting with temptation. The Apostle Paul told young Timothy, flee youthful lust. Joseph, when cornered by Potiphar's wife, got out of the room, fled her presence. Proverbs 6, verse 27 Ask a rhetorical question. Can a man take fire in his bosom and his clothes not be burned? And the answer is what? No, a man cannot set himself on fire and expect his shirt not to be affected. It's impossible. So he says, remove thy way far from her. Well, how far, Brother Tyler? As far as you possibly can. Don't eat with them in the break room. Don't sit anywhere near them during the meeting. Don't hang out with them in the hall. Don't ride with them to work. Don't friend them on social media. Don't respond to their text message. Don't even let them in your contacts. Don't even interact with them, period. Why? He said, come not the door of her house. In other words, what draws you to him or her? 
Does what your eyes fix themselves upon trigger that sexual temptation and draw you near her door? Does what you listen to draw you near his door? Does where you go draw you near their door? Does where you work out draw you near their door? Whatever or whoever Satan uses to open or, or draw you near the door of sexual temptation, Solomon's message is this, get out of the way. If it's your cell phone, get rid of it. And parents do the same thing with your teens. You should inspect their cell phone daily, inspect their history daily, inspect their text daily. And if there is one fault, if there is one fault, they should not have a cell phone back. Well, the Bible doesn't say that. It says, remove thy way far from her. Why are we giving them access again and again and again and again when it's the central problem? It's their, it's their access. If, they, if you can't trust them with it, you're basically saying, okay, you're forgiven, and you're going to let a device ruin their life. You think the apps are going to slow down? You think, you think the culture is going to be more quiet? You think girls are going to magically stop shooting selfies that are, that are promiscuous and immodest? You think they're going to stop? Then, then we, we can't let down. I'm passionate about this. If it's your job, you might have to get a different one. If it's your gym, work out at home. If it's your music, delete it. If it's your computer, put a filter on it. Hey, if it's the way you dress that makes you feel a certain way, dress more modestly. If you need to change what, the Bible, what, what Bible study class you go to or what children's church ministry team you minister on, do it. Why so drastic? Because you and I can't handle it. We can't let sexual temptation near the door of our house and still survive. Our marriage is worth too much to be casual about this. Young people, singles, your, your purity, your virginity, your future marriage is worth too much to be casual about this. Parents, our children's uh, future, whether or not they'll have a sexual addiction or, or whether or not they'll have a good marriage, is largely dependent on how we lead them to fight this battle right now. We can't afford to be casual about this. Solomon says, if you are, if you aren't serious about this, you will fall. And you will have to endure the dangerous consequences of the, strangest, the strange woman. John Kitchen again said this. As the diving board appears disproportionately higher after climb to the top, so the cost of diversion into illicit pleasure looks infinitely greater after the pleasure has passed. Holy cow. You ever climbed to the top of a diving board? So that's easy. And got to the top and said, that's not easy. Sexual pleasure and temptation and illicit relationships by way of your phone, by way of a computer, or by, by way of a real relationship. It seems so easy. And then you get to the top of the diving board of sexual impurity, and you think, what have I got myself into? I'm hooked. I'm addicted. If my wife finds out, my husband finds out, if my parents find out. And you're on the top of the diving board thinking, what in the world? Yeah. So Solomon uses the rest of the text to tell his son about the dangerous consequences. 
He starts in verse 9 by saying, you'll give up your honor to the cruel. Look at it. Lest thou give thine honor unto others and thy years unto the cruel. What does he mean by that? Well, you've got to understand what he means by the cruel. Who are the cruel? Who gets our honor? Who gets the best of our years? Who, who gets our strength? Who gets our money? Well, follow this, please. It's possible that in Solomon's say the original context, he might have been referring to, to the enraged spouse who in that day could have ordered, ordered their adulterous husband or wife to be put to death. You do know that that's what they did back then. Look at Leviticus. You cheated on your wife, you had every right to order that they be put to death by way of being stoned. That obviously isn't the case today. We might have better marriages if it was the case. Watch. But a spouse may still have to deal with their enraged spouse that they cheated on. The cruelty of the spouse that was wronged. One that forces you into financial restitution that encumbers you for years. It could be a judge who is the cruel one. Who in a similar way renders a judgment of restitution or child support against you. That handicaps you financially throughout the prime of your life. It could be the one who has happened upon the knowledge of your affair. And then blackmails you through cruel extortion of some kind. Perhaps even the woman or man you slept with or sent that text to blackmails you. The one you shared the greatest intimacy with and kept the closest secret with might very well become the taskmaster demanding and controlling your life. That's why whoever said it is right, hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. Did you hear me? He says in verse 10, you'll lose your hard-earned money. It doesn't get more practical than this. Less strangers, you don't even know who they are. Be filled with thy wealth. Thy labors be in the house of a stranger. Are we talking to, man, this, this applies so perfectly to pornography. It is a billion dollar industry and men everywhere, even in our churches, are giving up their hard earned money to women they'll never meet. To men they'll never meet. Ever. One night stands with strangers. Thousands of dollars after a divorce in court fees and in child support. In some cases, money spent to keep their secret a secret. Don't think that doesn't happen. 11 through 13 says you're going to experience deep mourning. Look at verse 11. And thou mournest the last, watch, when thy flesh and thy body are consumed. And say, how have I hated instruction? And my heart despised reproof and have not obeyed the voice of my teachers nor inclined my ear to them. That instructed me. That word mourn describes deep and the sorrowful state of the sinner who becomes a sufferer. Because when you choose to sin, you do choose to suffer. Verse 11 says clearly you're going to mourn what sexual sin has done to your body. And the Apostle Paul confirms that in 1 Corinthians 6 verse 18. Look at this verse. Flee fornication. Every sin that man doeth is without the body. But he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. Meaning there's a lingering effect that sexual sin has on your body. What do you mean? When addicted to pornography you understand your mind is totally rewired. Actually, when you try to quit it, you go through the same exact withdrawal process that a crack addict goes through. There's a painful withdrawal as your mind is working to rewire itself. That's why when men come to me and want help with pornography, 
I always tell them you got to get rid of this and you got to get rid of this and you got to get rid of this because the only way that you give your brain time to rewire itself is, is if you have total abstinence from pornography itself. I've known men and, and, and their bodies and even women, their bodies will be screaming at them for months. Then when you get married, and because marriage always solves all the pornography problems, right? You have access to the sexual relationship whenever you want in the bounds of marriage. Yet your body will still be crying out for the pleasure that pornography brings you. Even though you get pleasure from your wife or your husband, your mind, your body has lingering effects from what you did as a teenager or a college student. In some cases, there are sexually transmitted diseases to deal with that's actually becoming more rampant again. It's surfacing again, even in Seward County. There's unwanted pregnancies at a young age that totally transform a young girl's body in a way she wasn't ready for at age 16. Do you see how practical and true that is? Verse 12 and 13 says, you're gonna mourn the fact that you failed to listen and heed the warnings of sexual temptation. Come on, I've sat with people who've given in to sexual temptation and every one of them has mourned as they confessed, I should have listened. I didn't take it serious. My dad told me, my mom told me, my grandparents told me, my pastor, my youth pastor, my teacher, my, my coach. I, I just ignored their warnings. I played it off. I let it go in one ear and out the other. I just didn't think it really applied to me. And they'll mourn over the fact that they didn't listen. 14 gives perhaps one of the worst consequences. You'll have to endure the lingering shame of public disclosure. I was almost in all evil in the midst of the congregation and assembly. Look up here. At first glance, it sounds like there's relief. Whew, I almost got caught. So it sounds like he's saying that's not what, it's, what he's saying. The phrase in all evil could mean in utter ruin. So you could say it like this. I was almost in utter ruin. I was almost dead when I had to endure the shame of the entire assembly and congregation. Watch here, watch here. There is a measure of shame that the public disclosure of sexual sin brings that makes a person feel as good as dead. That's what Solomon is saying. A preacher that has to step out of the pastorate because of sexual shin, sin, that's shame. A teacher that gets their face on the front page of the paper because of sexual sin, that's shame. A parent that loses the respect of their adult children because of sexual sin, that's shame. A business owner that loses customers because of their sexual sin and it was brought to light, that's shame. I'm saying public shame is a very painful consequence of sexual sin. And please hear me, hear my heart. Because those caught in sexual sin are enduring so much shame, it is imperative that the church not add to that. Doesn't mean we stop preaching God's word. I understand when I preach God's word like this, people who have been caught and, and, and are regretting that, they're gonna be shamed right now during this message. That's not my intent, that's not my heart, that's a consequence. But outside of preaching God's word, this place should be known as a place of grace. The Christian, the fellow church member, 
the fellow family member that claims to be a Christian should not add to that person's shame. If the sinner's repentant, we should be forgiving. The church should always be about the restoration of the repentant, not the shaming of the repentant. That's why the way we go about dealing with sexual sin within the church is we don't pray all the details of that. We have closed meetings with the appropriate people and we seek restoration. We gather the church family if needed. We don't announce a meeting in the bulletin. We're about restoration for sin. Not shaming somebody over their sin. I'm hoping for more amens around here. If you're married to somebody that has to endure the lingering shame of their sexual sin, I got a word for you. Don't make it worse. Don't add to it by guilt tripping or constantly bringing up the past. That doesn't mean it needs to be taboo. It does need to be talked about in a healthy way for probably a long time before there's complete healing and trust restored, but it's never something to continually throw back in their face in a heated argument. They're already enduring the consequence of lingering shame. They don't need to add your shame to it, even if you hurt. And if you're somebody that is recovering from sexual sin, I got a word for you too. God loves you. And I love you. And I hope this church loves you. And the Bible promises that if you confess your sin to the Lord, he is faithful. I said he's faithful. And he's just to forgive you of your sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And what you have messed up in your sin, God can fix. You will not be freed from every consequence. Some will last a lifetime. But God can make you whole. God can rewire your brain. God can make you crave an intimate relationship again with your spouse. God can make your marriage amazing. If you're a single and you've given in and you've lost some of that purity and some of that virginity and you won't have that to give your husband or wife. There are consequences, and I hate, I hate that you have to deal with that, but the bottom line is this. God can still give you a good marriage. You listening to me? Just because you, 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 you've been caught in the traps of, of sexual sins, addictive nature, doesn't mean as you confess that and forsake it. I said forsake it. That God can make things whole and he might have a, a godly, pure woman that certainly you wouldn't deserve but he's reserved her just for you. Might have a godly man that, that has saved his virginity and young lady you might not have but he's been waiting for you and God still has him for your life. Your hope of an amazing opposite sex relationship, it's not over because you messed up. And if you're somebody tonight, this afternoon, that is caught right now, right now in the jaws of sexual sin, pornography, secretive texting or social media, co-inhabiting, premarital sex, or just innocent flirting at work, I got a word for you. Stop it right now. Repent of that sin before it destroys your life. I'm not even saying that it's just the singles that, that are 
hormonally driven right now. I'm saying that there are affairs that happen among people in their 30s, 40s, and 50s. There are 50-year-old men that have been addicted to pornography for years. And if that's you, stop it. Get help. Get help. I don't want to say anything. Well, then you're not going to be helped. I've dealt with this issue for 13 years now. And I don't go around and tell people about what men bring me or what, what ladies bring me in counseling. It's, it's very closed. It's, it's, it, it's very private. But if you don't seek help, you will not beat sexual sin by yourself. You will not do it. Sexual sin grows in the dark. If you bring it to light, it dies. Bring it to light. Bring it to light. I told you this first 14 verses are kind of heavy. They are. But can you imagine Solomon trying to tell his son? I imagine he had perhaps some of the same urgency and passion I had today. Listen, son. Get this. You know what's really sad is that Solomon didn't listen to his own advice. And so if I had a mirror right here, I would spend the, the next 30 minutes preaching the sermon right back to this guy. Because don't think for a moment that because I stand behind a pulpit and I'm the one declaring the word of God, that I'm not prone to falling like Solomon fell. The very advice he gave his son, he didn't follow himself. And so I would covet your prayers. That God would give me a good marriage. And that I would do wise things on my phone. And I would abstain. I wouldn't even let the strange woman come nigh my door. I, I would covet your prayers. I'm just telling you, it's a real battle for me. The devil's after me. He's after, he wants to destroy my life. Not any more than he wants to destroy yours. I'm just trying to tell you I'm not exempt from it. When I, listen, every time I, I get on social media, I'm tempted with it. When I see a pretty woman not dressed right, I'm tempted with it. I, I, when you pinch me, I hurt. And so if, if you do pray for your pastoral staff, would you add that in there? That God would help us practice what we preach? Because I want to give my life to this church. I don't want to mess this opportunity up. I don't want to lose the responsibility and the calling that God's placed on my life to shepherd this flock. I need prayer. I need you. I'm so vulnerable. Every staff guy in here is vulnerable. Every deacon in here is vulnerable. Every fellowship Bible class leader is vulnerable. Every person breathing is vulnerable. And so this is a somber lesson, so let's, let's have that type of response to 